So I compared Moxa in three different areas. So looking at the heat that Moxa gives off, the infrared radiation given off by Moxa, and then also looking at the smoke, um, specifically looking at the particle density within the smoke. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. We're living through an extraordinary moment, and not just as individuals, communities, or nations. We're living through a moment together on a planetary level. Perhaps as we see empty store shelves, sold-out items on Amazon, concerns with supply chains, and closing down international air travel, perhaps as we notice how the usual daily flows are drying up, as we think about how our state of health might affect the health of others in our family and community, perhaps as we start to not only see but feel how intertwined we all are, there is an opportunity to awaken to the interdependence that connects all of us together. As Chinese medicine practitioners, we tend to trust nature. We pattern our medicine and thinking on the cycles, unfolding, and connections that we see in the natural world. And if we really trust nature, then there is something in this worldwide response to the coronavirus that must be trustworthy. Certainly, from the perspective of a human being, we are facing a pathogenic influence that we've not seen in quite some time. But from the perspective of nature, it could be that we're on the receiving end of an immune response. Nature has its own ways of striking a balance. There are comparisons to the misnamed Spanish flu epidemic of 1918, which also caught the world's attention. But our situation today is different. In 2020, we have international air travel, which allows for faster and more far-reaching transmission. And beyond that, we have an exogenous nervous system that we call the internet. The epidemic of 1918 affected about 25% of the world's population. I don't know the infection rate in terms of how many people harbor the coronavirus in their blood or in their lungs, but I do know that everyone with an internet connection has been infected on the psychosocial emotive level. I'm sure there was plenty of fear during the 1918 pandemic, but today, in our instantly connected world, we contend with a virus that also powerfully affects our mind, and thanks to the internet, that spreads at the speed of fiber optics. Of course, we want to be able to help at the level of the physical body, and lucky for us, this is not Chinese medicine's first time to this rodeo, but just because doctors of the past successfully figured out how to treat epidemic disease, it doesn't mean that we know how to do it. We can certainly look to what they were seeing, but to use those formulas without understanding the illness process they base their thinking on, that would be a mistake. It's up to us to learn to use our Chinese medicine thinking and apply our differential diagnosis so we can most effectively use our medicine. Simply using air quotes here, antiviral herbs to fight a virus can be a problem due to their cold and bitter nature. It could make the problem worse. We can do a lot of good, but we also need to be careful not to do harm. And then there is the deep aspect of fear and uncertainty that's exacerbated by the internet-connected world. And here's a place where we can help, not just by setting up a telemedicine practice, but by using the skills and perspectives that we have with meditation, qigong, herbs, or whatever it is that you might have in your toolkit to help calm the shen, to help people sleep better, to serve as a reminder that the future as pictured in our minds is scary, but for the most part, this present moment, it's probably fine. In fact, it might even be beautiful. 
And it's worth cultivating this sense of moment-to-moment recognition that life is ever-changing. Life is fleeting, and perhaps even more sacred and beautiful when we recognize our time here is limited. The story we tell ourselves about this moment profoundly affects this moment. Some stillness and love in this time of grace and danger is the medicine we can share that does not require a needle. In a moment, we'll be getting into a discussion about moxibustion. Not so much from the side of practice, but from the perspective of research. Alice Douglas has loved moxa since before she became an acupuncturist, and she's gone deep into the research on the magic of mugwort. Speaking of moxa, the Antake Moxa in Motion classes that were scheduled for May in Seattle and Oakland have been preempted for the coronavirus. We can't gather in person, but the tech heads at the Geological Sound and Motion Labs are putting together an online experience that will allow you to learn this fun and effective technique from the comfort and safety of your living room. We have retooled the class a bit, and you'll end up with access to some professionally shot video on how to use Antake, as well as a discussion forum and a 60-day replay of the online real-time live stream. Visit the Geological website and look under the Courses menu for more details. LASA OMS is dedicated to helping you with your clinical success, and especially in this challenging time, LASA is doing what they can to ensure that you have the supplies you need to do your work. They invested early in ensuring product supply for the better part of 2020 and have a keen eye towards supply chains. You can feel confident that you'll be able to get your favorite needles and other supplies as we move forward. LASA also has implemented on-site prevention measures and taken all reasonable precautions to prepare for and mitigate the risk of COVID-19 to staff, products, and your business. In addition to bringing you the learning you find here on Geological, LASA also hosts webinars on a wide variety of topics, most recently including one on the use of herbal formulas used in China to treat the coronavirus. Sign up for LASA's mailing list so you can get notices on their educational offerings as well as their flash sales. They run all kinds of specials on everything acupuncture-related that you'll need for your practice. LASA OMS, supporting your practice and our profession with resources and knowledge. All right, friends, let's get into today's conversation. Light up your stomach 36 and enjoy this podcast conversation. Alice Douglas, welcome to Geological. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I am too. Moxa, you are into Moxa. You are so into Moxa that you've been doing research on Moxa. Yeah, I love it. I think it's amazing. What made you fall in love with Moxa? Probably as a patient, actually. As a child, I started having acupuncture when I was like 12, 13 years old. I always had Moxa used on me. And I just loved it. I loved the feeling of it. I loved the smell of it. I would get treated in my bedroom at home. And so for like a day afterwards, my room would smell really good. And so I just really liked the experience as a patient. So when I then became a practitioner, it was something I was kind of already drawn to. Absolutely. Were you actually more drawn to moxa than acupuncture? No. For A long time, especially when I was studying, it it was needles first, and moxa was kind of a secondary thing that you use. But since I've kind of gone into my own practice, I see them as an equal. There's so many things that I think I couldn't do with just needles. 
I don't know how I'd do it. Yeah. So what are some of those things that, that when they come up, you go, oh, this is a job for Moxa? One of the biggest is gynecological fertility work, kind of cold in the uterus. So period pains, endometriosis, that kind of thing. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have Moxa, if I just had to use needles. I just don't think it would work. I don't know how I'd get the same level of results as quickly if I didn't have Moxa. Mm-hmm. And when you're using moxa for these kinds of cases, and, and I mean, that makes a lot of sense when there's cold in the uterus, cold in the lower jowl. I mean, moxa is such a direct and comforting thing. I mean, there's no woman who has pain in her belly who puts ice on it. No, you, you always want that warmth and patients love it. They, they're always like, are you going to do moxa on me today? They want it. And like you said, the word comforting is something that I hear a lot from patients in how they feel when they have moxa heat. Right. I'm curious, when you were a kid and you were first getting those acupuncture and moxibustion treatments that you like so much, what kind of moxa was that practitioner using on you? Uh, she used stick moxa. Um, it wasn't smokeless. It was the real, the real thing. She just used stick moxa, and she would use it over my abdomen and then also on points on my leg. Mm-hmm. So just, I mean, the common thing that we all learn in acupuncture school. Yeah, no fancy techniques, no kind of, yeah, complicated stuff. It was just a moxie stick and hovering above points. There you go. Now, what about you and your clinic right now for these women who have uh, the menstrual disorders and the cold in the uterus? What kind of moxie do you like to go to for that? Uh, either stick moxa or rice grain. I think rice grain moxa is really amazing and I really like using it. And I, I think it's kind of fun using rice grain moxa. Stick moxa I like because the control that you have over the temperature, you know, you can so easily move it away and bring the temperature back down or move it closer. Something like putting moxa on the end of a needle, you completely lose that control in in controlling the temperature so i like using stick moxa for that and then rice grain i just think it's a really nice way to get a patient to engage in their treatment as well because you need so much feedback and then i think the results are are amazing i think it's such a nourishing tonifying way to treat the body Mm -hmm. i love getting rice grain moxa myself but i do not have the temperament to do it as a practitioner. It, it really requires a certain kind of focus and a, a particular attention to detail and just a very kind of meticulousness that, uh, that I just don't have, but I love getting it. That's the thing that I really love about it. That like kind of five, 10 minutes of that energy in the room. I just think it's really exciting and I really enjoy that, that kind of work. Yeah, well, you know, I think we see this a lot in our profession. Different people will gravitate toward different things, partly because they're effective and partly because, well, I'm just the kind of person that likes these methods and, you know, other methods are more difficult for us. Now, you mentioned that you do both the stick and the rice grain. Do you think they work differently or have different kinds of influence, so to speak, on the body? I tend to use them more in a um, kind of practical sense. So if I want to heat a larger area, I use a stick because, you know, rice grain is far more focused on a specific point that you want to use. I mean, it's almost like acupuncture. 
yeah basically and and it often does feel like that and I mean, had a patient only last week who I did rice grain and then I I'd finished and it was on stomach 36 and I walked away and she was like is there something still on there like it have you left a piece that's like burning my leg and I was like no there's nothing there and she was like but I can feel this heat inside my leg and I was like no that's just the residual heat that's been left behind that's it that's amazing that's yeah that's what we want yeah so yeah that's how I tend to use them differently yeah I'm curious to know what got you into doing the moxa research I mean I know that you love it it's a big piece of your practice I think it's one thing to be a practitioner and, and to use it and know it in a clinical sense and, and enjoy being able to help people with it takes another kind of mindset to be able to like dig into research or to be able to bring a, a research eye to what you're doing and try to understand what's happening. What drew you into that? There's a lot of conversation around the difference between smokeless moxa and smoking moxa. And more and more clinics aren't allowing you to use um, normal moxa because it the smell the smoke all that kind of stuff and I think it's quite a big conversation of like does it matter whether we're using smokeless or smoking moxa and I kind of just wanted to know does it matter does it make a difference um, and for me like I said I'd always had this pull towards smoking moxa I've never used smokeless in my clinic but I'm in a lucky position that I've never had to use smokeless in my clinic. Um, but I wanted to know, actually, what's the science saying here? Does it actually matter? Remove my personal preference out of this. What's the science saying? Right. I mean, this is the great thing about science is it, it's a method where we can have these questions and we can take our own self out of it in a way, but also open up our perspective and, and really be able to see what exactly is here. Yeah, and I wanted to know, you know, if it's just my personal preference, that's fine too. But actually, I want to be able to know, not just based on my own opinion, widen, widen my own opinion, really. Yes. So what did you find? It makes a massive difference. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's completely different to smokeless moxa it is worlds apart and um i was very pleased to find <laughs> that yeah that was the result really so i looked at i compared moxa in three different areas so looking at the heat that moxa gives off the infrared radiation um given off by moxa and then also looking at the smoke um specifically looking at the particle density within the smoke and how the therapeutic effects that has in every piece of research, it was different to smokeless moxa. Infrared radiation. I usually think of some kind of electronic device as being involved with infrared radiation. But it sounds like burning moxa. Well, I mean, heat is a type of infrared radiation when I think about it. So maybe that's not so far-fetched. What did you find with that? What did you find in terms of wavelengths? So the wavelengths is what was, this is probably what I found the most exciting and the bit I geeked out on the most <laughs> doing this research. So first of all, looking in terms of radiation intensity, which is kind of the, the strength behind the radiation, it was over a thousand times stronger from Moxa in comparison with smokeless and also with a lit cigarette. 
so the, the strength of this is a thousand times stronger when you're using smoking moxa. That's wild. You can't see it. You don't kind of necessarily know it, but it's, yeah, it's massively, massively different. The shorter the wavelengths, the greater the intensity. So that shows us that the wavelengths are much shorter in with moxa than with smoking moxa, smokeless moxa, sorry, and with a lit cigarette. So infrared radiation is split up into, it's, it goes from the edge of red, uh, red light, which we can see, and past that you go into infrared radiation. And it's split up into near and far infrared radiation. And you can keep going down and getting into even smaller sections, but that's the main part. And uh, the majority of waves given off from Moxa are near infrared. And within that, there is a bracket which has the highest ability to interact with water molecules. And it's also what can be absorbed by live tissue. There's a window of wavelengths that size that can be absorbed by live tissue. And these are both the size of wavelengths that is most common in Moxa when it's being burnt. So you're having the biggest impact you can basically on these water molecules. And what you cause to happen is essentially kinetic energy. And you cause the hydrogen bonds within the water molecules to start moving. And once you start doing that, there's you know research coming away from Chinese medicine, just looking into the behavior of these hydrogen bonds within the body. You're moving into increasing all different kinds of biochemical reactions. You're increasing cellular activity. You're inducing cell division. Just, yeah, a whole host of different things, increasing blood flow. So those are all the things that Moxa, we can prove now, has got the power to do. So it basically ramps up bioactivity. Yeah. You just get the body working, working that bit harder. And it has this particular wavelength that's like the sweet spot for interacting with water. Yeah, basically. Which we're 70% composed of. It's most of what we are. And Moxa can directly affect it. Fire and water. We know about that in Chinese medicine. How did you measure this kind of a thing? I mean, are there like special instruments? How? I mean, how do you know that you've got a certain kind of wavelength coming off of this stuff? So what I've done is compile all the basically the data that's been released on Moxa since 2006. Uh-huh. So in some ways, this is almost like a... It's a literary kind of review. It's a literary review. Yeah. So you're looking at the work that other people have done. And compiling that into a whole thing of going, okay, so what does this actually mean? And what is the mechanism of Moxa here? Right. Well, no, no wonder you can do rice grain Moxa so well. You've got that meticulous way of like... <laughs> Working with detail. Analyzing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. So you also mentioned that moxa, well, the smoky moxa, right? Because the smokeless did not have this same infrared profile, so it wouldn't have that same kind of function. You said it could also move blood. And this is something I've heard from Japanese practitioners, that they, they will often use moxa not so much to heat something up, but because they they want to move blood, they want to get rid of stagnation. Yeah. And that's probably what I use it for the most, 
especially when you're using it with musculoskeletal stuff, um, you're just trying to get things to move better. And Mox is amazing at that. And that works in two, two different ways, both essentially as kinetic energy. And we know kinetic energy, you know, that's going to create its movement within the body, basically. And you can get that from both the infrared light and also from the heat. So that with for coming from Moxa is actually really powerful because it's happening in two different ways. Right. And if you've got this area where there's some kind of stagnation and you go in and you you essentially are working directly on water molecules and getting them to move more, then everything else in that tissue, I suspect, would begin to move more. Yeah. All these molecules have a knock-on effect. If one starts moving hits the next one and that's one starts moving and so on and so on and that's the thing about that was interesting around the heat is how much how deep the heat travels with moxa and that is again due to the waves being able to carry that heat but if you go 1.5 centimeters below skin level the temperature change of moxa can still be three degrees higher than everywhere else and that's a massive amount to have a temperature change within the body of three degrees at a particular acupuncture point. That's huge. That's a lot of energy. And it's not just heat energy, but you're also working with these biochemical bonds within the water. Yeah. So you're doing it in two ways. So that's where, you know, we can get amazing benefit from applying heat to the body. Heat therapy has been used you know, forever. And it's used in so many different ways. And that's where smokeless moxa has a total purpose. It's still a heat therapy and it still has therapeutic effects. But it doesn't go as deep. It doesn't go as deep within the body and it doesn't have that radiation intensity. So it's still working. It still has a purpose. But when you compare it with moxa, it's not having that double, that two ways of having that effect. Right. You know, I've heard, and I remember teachers saying this to me when I was in acupuncture school, how Moxa has this deep heating ability. Yeah. And and I always wondered about that. It's like, really? Is that true? Are you just telling me this because you're an acupuncture teacher and you like Moxa? I mean, I've always been kind of a skeptical character. It's very reassuring to hear you talk about looking at the research and looking at things like the infrared radiation. And how that interacts with the body and that it does indeed penetrate deeper into the body. It really is true. And that's what I think was another thing that I did within this, this paper was also what's the relationship between how we describe how moxa works within Chinese medicine and then what the modern research is telling us. So within Chinese medicine, you know, we've got heat, acridity and bitterness that is how we describe how moxa has its therapeutic effects. And this acridity creates movement within the body. And that movement, we could say, is actually what means that that heat can travel further because it's this acrid heat. And that completely kind of creates this um, correlation with heat and infrared. And that's why I think it's really exciting. You know, it's once you find that translation between... Chinese medicine and then you know kind of our modern language it all starts to click into place and it all makes sense yeah it's really fun when you find those connections isn't it yeah and I think that's where kind of doing stuff like this collating research and and translating between the two languages 
is really important because for people like yourself, skeptics, or just as practitioners. We just plain don't know. We just, yeah. or, or we're interested in other areas of the medicine. Our attention doesn't go there. We, we take it on good faith from our teachers or friends that they're having these experiences with moxa. It's really cool to hear that there's research that backs it all up. I mean, I'm super happy in clinic to just go with my clinical results, right? Good clinical results equal happy patients, happy practitioner. It's, but it's so fun to like go a little bit deeper and be able to look at it from this Western biochemical view and go, well, and, and here's how it looks on this side of the equation. Yeah. And also the impact that doing this piece of work just personally has had on my clinic. Yeah. How has that changed you and your work? I can't, I can't work without it now. I place so much more value on Moxa knowing that, okay, it's not just my opinion. The science is there. I know this is actually so important for my patients and I've got science to back it up. And actually I set up a community clinic last year. It's like a multi-bed low cost clinic. And we didn't think we could use Moxa there. It's a community center. You know, they've got lots of people using the space, the smoke, everything. So we kind of thought we couldn't use it. And so for three months, we didn't have Moxa. And I missed it so much. Um, we were desperate to be able to use it. And then just after Christmas, we found out we could use it in the space. And it's just made the biggest difference. So much pain that I was going, okay, it's got better, but like there's this bit left and we've kind of, we've done this amazing decrease of pain and now we're kind of plateauing and there's just that little bit left and I don't know how to shift that little thing that's left behind. Moxa and that's, it, that end bit I've just found in so many patients is now gone. That's fantastic. What, what changed in that space? Was it that they just said you could do it or did you bring in ventilation or air purifiers. They just said we could do it. I they think, just said you could do it. Yeah, they kind of, they weren't really sure what we were up to with our clinic for a long time. They weren't used to having acupuncturists running around. Um, and I think after three months, they kind of went, oh, okay, they seem like they know what they're doing. We'll, uh, we'll let them start burning herbs in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> the piece about particle density of the smoke I read your paper that uh, is in the Journal of Chinese Medicine. So it's a really delightful article. I encourage listeners to, to give it a read if you're interested in this kind of stuff. You talk about particle density. Again, I'm, I'm not a big moxa guy, although I'm starting to get a little turned around. There's a technique that I recently got turned on to that I've been using, and it's, I've been scratching my head with how good the results are. It's like, really? Five minutes of moxa in... Can the do pain all that of you that for a year yeah. is gone. Yeah, I'm not even sure how to make sense of it at this point. Um, and it's a little bit smoky. It's not super smoky. It's, it's it it kind of smolders more than smokes. But particle density of the smoke. What does that have to do with anything in terms of therapeutic effect? So, basically, the way of observing the particle densities, the studies would often use three different particle densities. So a low particle density of the smoke medium and then high and then compare the results between them and basically it just means we're looking at having 
how much does the smoke really matter? And in all of them, there, there is this correlation between the higher the particle density, the higher the therapeutic effect. It's not just knowing that the smoke matters. It's also knowing that a lot of smoke matters. And the more smoke you have, the kind of better the therapeutic effects are, and that there is a positive correlation between them. And so, yeah, in terms of with inflammation, this is something I now use massively. And it was from one of these studies that was looking at uh, inflammatory markers um, and then using moxa smoke. I now, anytime there's inflammation, am just wafting moxa smoke over the area massively. In fact, it's something actually I read, it was in a Machocha book, was, uh, using plum blossom needling over the area and then wafting moxa smoke over it. And I find it works incredibly well at reducing inflammation. So let me make sure I'm following this right, because often when I think of inflammation, I think of an area that's got some localized heat. Yeah. And you're not talking about necessarily putting heat into this area. You're talking about just getting the smoke on this area. You're just talking about smoking that area, not... Not necessarily heating it loads. So you can hold the stick kind of, you know, slightly away and facing away. So that heat is not facing towards the area of inflammation. And then you're just wafting the smoke with your hand over the area so you're not heating it like you said i mean that sounds like some kind of a jedi trick (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i think it's something i would never have done until i read kind of the the research around actually the power the smoke alone has and actually it's one of the between heat and infrared it can be quite hard to distinguish which is having which effect because you can't isolate them. You can't heat the area with moxa and not have the infrared involved or vice versa. But with the smoke, you can isolate it. You can just use smoke on an area and on a patient and not heat any of it. That's so interesting. I, I had never thought about it from that point of view. But as we're having this conversation, this may be a little bit off and shows you where my mind goes, but I'm thinking... Sometimes you can get like really nice smoked fish or smoked meat, right? And like cherry wood smoke is different than like alder smoke. And that's different than like, you know, another kind of smoke. Yeah. Or it makes a difference in how food tastes. Yeah. So yeah, there is something about the smoke itself in that case. That's super, wow. That Now that really has me thinking about things. Yeah. It's so interesting. And uh, um, like I said, for inflammation... Yeah, you need moxa smoke. Moxa smoke for inflammation. Okay. Yeah. I have had sensitive lungs my entire life. And and part of the reason that I have shied away from moxa is that's just hard for me to be in smoky environments. That's That's been an issue for me. Over, over the time that I've practiced, I have also played around a bit with the smokeless moxa, but not for long because, number one, it had this like really weird burnt acrid smell that was unpleasant even though it was smokeless it had this like weird smell and it just never i don't know i never seemed to get any good effect with it i mean that's just my own clinical sense of it and i've used mocks a bit i like those little stick-on guys yeah so there's that i'd like to get your opinion on those here in just a second um so i've used that to some degree 
now you've got me thinking about using Moxa smoke more and just, I mean, I'm starting to think about Moxa differently and having this conversation. Well, and because I've been using this other technique recently. And for those of us that are sensitive to smoke, what can we do? And then a follow-on to that is, okay, we're acupuncturists. We're not doing this for like a couple of weeks or a couple of months. We're doing this stuff for decades. What are the health concerns that we might need to be concerned around with being around, let's call it secondhand moxa smoke? Yeah. And I think this is a big thing. And this is one of the issues around why less and less people are using moxa is this, is this concern. There was a really interesting study done that put mice in, a, in glass boxes for eight hours a day filled with moxa smoke. And again, there were three different densities of particles. And they did it for 100 days in a row. There were no changes to lung function in any of the r- mice. But there were some adverse events in terms of lung inflammation after this time. Now, this obviously doesn't, we don't need to really consider patients in this because they're never going to be exposed to that level of moxa um, at the, um, especially at the densities that were being used. They were literally like in these little boxes that were completely filled with smoke. So in terms of a patient perspective, we don't really need to, to worry about that. But for practitioners, you know, that is a concern. And I think that's one of the problems is there aren't really any guidelines or advice given as to how as practitioners we need to keep ourselves safe in using moxa so the right level of ventilation that kind of thing you know i was never taught that at school that's not something that we have readily available to us as a piece of information i, I mean i don't think we really have that information available to the profession as a whole no and that's where you know collating this research this is something that we need do need to try and generate so that you know, practitioners can know, okay, if I ventilate my room this much, then this is what's safe for me to be doing. And I think, again, it varies what kind of moxie you use. For example, rice grain, there's not really any smoke at all. You can barely smell it afterwards. It goes in a minute, you know, it's, there's hardly anything. Like you said, how what the technique you're using, you're not struggling with loads of smoke being around. Just so a little bit. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. And so it depends kind of how you're using it. If you're using moxa boxes and plugging them full of moxa, I mean, there's just smoke everywhere. Um, And there's quite a bit with using stick moxa and that kind of thing. So obviously, I think there's ways to incorporate moxa into your clinic, even if you don't really want the smoke around. You know, use rice grain, use the technique you're using. Um, But I just, I air out my clinic every day, open every window, every door, and just try and, you know, keep a lot of air movement within the space because I am doing it most hours of the day. Yeah, you're, you're the moxer queen over there. <laughs> I mean, do you have some kind of a ventilation system that actually pulls it out of the room as you're doing it or some kind of air purifiers or anything like that to help mitigate? No, I don't. I've only been in this clinic for kind of three months, but I am getting one. It's been something that I've been kind of just putting off I just open all the windows and all the doors and air out the space but I am actually going to get a kind of air purifier to try and pull the smoke out because there are some days 
that I just don't think it's very nice for patients to walk into either. You know, it gets really smoky in here. And, you know, the smell can cling and and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I just think, yeah, so I am going to get something to to try and an air purifier, basically. Since doing this research, do you find that you talk to your patients differently about what Moxa does when they ask? Yeah, definitely. I often talk about the level of how deep the the heat moves with moxa and how that's different to other kinds of heat and especially like you said you know women in pain will put hot water bottles across their abdomen and they often know that helps um so being able to tell them well this is doing the same but way way better and a way more and way more effective normally people find quite exciting and I often talk about yeah that it's moving through more layers of tissue than your hot water bottle can do right do you send people home with moxid I mean do your patients do home care this is one of those things that people could use themselves with a little bit of training yeah um and I love especially stick moxa it's so easy just send people home with one and they can do it themselves. You know, it's it's not difficult. The burn risk is super minimal when you're using stick moxa. You know, you just have to be a bit careful. But especially if you're doing it on yourself, you know, you, if it gets too hot, you just move it away. I've got one, a patient who actually, it was only last week, I'd already put all her needles in. She's an elderly patient coming with shoulder pain. I do moxa for her shoulder pain. Um, but she had inflammation around her thumb and she'd been she just told me about it kind of halfway through the treatment and she'd been putting deep heat on it you know just like the gels and stuff and it was always very short-term kind of relief but she used them and she found that they did help a bit I'd already put on the needles in and I put in quite a few I didn't really want to do anymore so I just thought oh, I'll just do moxa on it alone and after one session of just mox putting moxa heat on it using stick moxa the pain is just basically gone which is incredible but for her for I'm just next you know next time I see her I'm just going to give her a stick of moxa teach her how to use it and if that pain ever flares for any reason she can just do that herself at home it takes five minutes it's not much longer than just rubbing the gel on really and she's going to be without pain so yes I love sending people home with it and again gynecology when people are in having period pains you're not necessarily there to do anything so having that that they can take home with them and whilst they're in pain just be doing it or even better teach someone else to do it for them Mm -hmm. Um, it's a thing that family members could easily do for each other yeah i have got my family members to do it to me at times you know (laughs) make them work (laughs) (laughs) Do you use moxa boxes, like big smoky moxa boxes with your fertility patients, or are you you mainly using the pole moxa with them? I'm mainly using stick moxa. Yeah, so um, really super simple stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to learn more techniques of using moxa, and I think that's definitely something that I'm super interested in doing is going and learning those much more complicated techniques and, and doing all of that stuff. But you don't need it. You just need a stick moxa and you're good to go really and have amazing amazing effects 
What about those little stick-on moxes? Now, I know that that there are some stick-on moxes that that are the smokeless, but there's also some that are a little bit smoky. In fact, they often leave a little oily residue after you take them off. Mm. What do you think about those? I don't use them. If I'm going to put moxa directly on the skin or like I want to do it myself. And again, I think it comes down to control. You have so much more control over the temperature, the size, um, how much heat you're using, how big an area you're affecting. You know, if you're using moxicones, you can decide, okay, am I going to do rice grain and it'd be a really, really small area or am I going to use a slightly larger cone and therefore have a, you know, you've got so many more options and so much more control over it. Can you tell I'm a bit of a control freak? Well, um, you're, you're meticulous in what you do. And so, yeah, I much rather be making, you know, using the Moxa Punk and making it myself. Yeah. Have you found that different grades of Moxa have different, let's call it therapeutic or heat or infrared profiles? So this is what, unfortunately, there's not enough research to actually go into because I started trying to look at this actually what's the quality of the moxa like and what impact does that have because surely that must make a difference we you know we know that the quality and you know if you look in herbal medicine that makes a massive difference so it must it must matter firstly the studies don't state where their moxa come from what kind you know anything like that they don't give you any details other than how they're using it. So already you haven't got a lot to go on. The only thing was one that was really interesting, which was looking at the different amounts of flavonoids within Moxa and how that changed based on the um, Moxa storage process and how we get the floss. and. So flavonoids are metabolites found in plants and fungi, and they themselves are not entirely understood of how they affect human physiology. But we do know they're anti-inflammatory, they're anti-carcinogenic, they're anti-mutagenic. Um, so we know they're good. We just don't quite understand every all of it that's going on with flavonoids. But it was shown that the basically the better the quality of moxa. So the longer time that was taken to process the moxa, the higher level of flavonoids. This was really interesting to me that it just, this one study has kind of opened this massive window of going, hang on. So if we don't know where our moxa is coming from and the quality of it, we don't know how well it can, it can work. But that's kind of all the information we have at this point, or at least that that I've been able to find. And so I think it's a conversation that definitely needs to be opened up and explored more. It's interesting hearing you talk about how the moxa is stored and how it's processed. I remember having a, a Japanese acupuncture teacher when I was in school. Oh man, she had a love affair with moxa it's like she had these little stashes of moxa and she was like constantly messing with the moxa. She would sometimes put other things in with it because it would change like how it smelled or to keep it fresh. I couldn't always understand her that well because her English was like so, so, but she was constantly like processing and caring for her moxa. 
and so when I hear you talk about storage techniques and that kind of thing, it makes me think about her. I know for myself, simply smelling rice grain moxa, it's really pleasant. I mean, I just love the way it smells. I, I, it, I find it to be rather spirit calming. Mm, it is definitely. Just smelling the moxa. Our highest quality, that's normally people are using the highest quality moxa when, when they're using rice grain. Yeah. And there's others that honestly smell like old cigars. It's, it, I don't find it pleasant at all. And they're a lot, yeah, they burn. Yeah. You can get really nasty stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm wondering now, again, this isn't scientific because there's just not research on it, but from your point of view as a practitioner, as someone who loves moxie, as someone who's paid a lot of attention to this, are there any particular kinds of moxa that you really like to work with because you've seen good results and because you just kind of like this stuff? You just have an affinity for it. Japanese golden moxa is, I find, much nicer. It's much easier to work with as well. When you get kind of the lower grade stuff, it's so hard to work with. It just kind of crumbles. It doesn't stick together. It's just annoying. Right. Um, so, so this is for making moxa cones, yeah. whether it's rice grain or, you know, the size of a gumdrop. Yeah. Whereas if you're using Japanese golden moxa, it normally holds together much nicer. It's much easier to work with. Like you said, the smell is so much nicer. It does smoke, but it's, it's not nearly as unpleasant with moxa. You know, you can find a massive variety in terms of how much money you can pay for it. If you're buying really cheap moxa, it tends to not be that nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So get the good stuff. Yeah. Japanese golden moxa. And it just, it's so, the way it feels as well, it's just so soft and like a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed that there, there's an element in working with moxa. The, the little bit that I've done, there is a very tactile aspect of it. And that if it feels good in my hands, it's just pleasant to work with it. And if it's crumbly or sometimes there's like little bits of sticks in it or something, it just feels kind of pokey. It's not the same. It's You're right. It's not pleasant. It's not fun to work with it. No, and it just turns it into a bit of a faff. And yeah, I just get irritated because it won't do what I want. And yeah, it's just, it's not worth it really. Mm-hmm. What are some other things that you're looking at on the research side? I suspect in doing the research that you've done, it, it's opened up new questions for you. I'm, I'm curious to know what your new questions are. I am really interested in this, the whole thing around moxa ventilation and what ventilation for practitioners, how we need to be working. And I think if we had something that was kind of like guidelines or something like that I think not only would practitioners be more up for using it but when we're you know renting a space in a clinic if you could give them okay but we have these guidelines and if I follow these then it's all fine they'd be so much more inclined to use them and actually people that do want to be using Moxa would actually have the opportunity and so that I think is something that 
I haven't quite figured out how we do it yet, but somehow we need to, as a community, find some way of building these these guidelines around around moxa for practitioners. And then I think the other thing is um, just looking more at okay. So now I know how it works. What are all the things I haven't even thought of that I could be using it for? Yeah, well, um, that's the point of being a practitioner. Yeah. And I love it when you get somebody come in and you go, I wonder if Moxa will work here. Because, you know, we get taught so much more about what the needles, you know, we always, I'm, you know, I'm, I use needles no matter what you come in with, no matter what you say, it's needles. But whether you have Moxa or not is always kind of a question mark. And I find it really exciting when someone comes in and you think, could this be a chance to use Moxa on something they haven't used it on before? Mm-hmm. Are there ways that you use Moxa now that are a surprise to you? And, and what I mean by this is, you know, we all get our training and and we learn, oh, Moxa is for this, Moxa is good for that. Um, but sometimes as we get into something and we learn more about it, the method itself begins to teach us and begins to, you know, like you're saying, oh, I wonder if I could use Moxa for that. What are some things that you use moxa for these days that you would have had no idea about when you first started studying Chinese medicine? So probably the most interesting one is using moxa when it's contraindicated, which is on heat. Because obviously, you know, we're told a contraindication of moxa is using moxa when there is, you know, an excess heat condition. You don't want to add more heat because you just exacerbate it. Um, but I have found that to not always be the case sometimes it can work so well and so that's always an interesting one and the other one is I was always told uh, not to use moxa on the heart or small intestine channels along the arm um, because you shouldn't be adding heat to the heart like that mm, right fire channel be careful but I have seen a lot of heat in the small intestine channel and causing shoulder pain and like a burning sensation in the shoulder. I don't know why it keeps, it keeps showing up for me. I use Moxa on it every time, which is a massive kind of contraindication. Um, but I find it really works and I really like using it at the end of the channel. At the end of the channel. So you would put Moxa at the end of the small intestine channel to treat small intestine shoulder pain. Yeah. Well, that sounds just like acupuncture. Yeah. And you basically, you're pulling, you're pulling the heat out. You know, it's the same as, you know, we use the Jingwell points to clear heat. I do the same with, with Moxa. Um, but it, it seems like a massive contraindication. And actually it's really interesting more often than not patients feel the heat radiate down the channel. And, um, that always makes me really excited. <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. So really what you're doing in that case is using the moxa to create movement in the channel, draw that stagnation and heat down so that you get some motion to it and then it clears itself out. Yeah. You also mentioned that at times you'll use it for inflammation. This sounds like one of those times. Are there other times when you see heat signs that you've used moxa in that sort of air quotes here, contraindicated way and yet and yet gotten results. What are some examples of that? One would be this 
thumb that I was mentioning just before that happened last week. It was red, inflamed, felt warm to touch. There I was quite lucky because the patient had been using deep heat and had found benefit. So I kind of already knew heat helped. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it helps when they tip us off to things that are helpful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because sometimes, you know, you don't know, and there is a chance that using Moxa could exacerbate it. Um, Although I do have to say, I've never had that, but I know other practitioners have, um, you know, that they've used Moxa on something that's hot and it's just made it worse. So you do have to be cautious, but when they come in and they go, well, heat helps, you're going, okay, well, now I don't really need to worry so much because you've you've told me I'm going to do the right thing. And yeah, that was just so much Moxa and so much heating up of a red inflamed thumb. And it made so, it made it so much better. Yeah. Well, maybe there was some cold trapped in there at the very yeah. base of it. And, yeah. And the heat helps. So this also sound this thumb one also sounds like it would have been a candidate for your moxa smoke wafting. Yeah. If the heat was not proved not to be helpful. Yeah, totally. Um, and so I was also wafting smoke as well. So I was actually using heat and and the smoke in that. But yeah, I use the smoke. I am still cautious using heat on heat, but when it's just wafting over the smoke, I it doesn't kind of worry me at all in terms of exacerbating the condition because that's not heat. That's just the smoke. That's just the smoke. That's the particle density, and, and the smoke seems to be anti-inflammatory. Yeah. It seems to reduce heat. Yeah. Wow. It's going to take me a little while to get my head around that one. Actually, it may not take that long to get my head around that one. I've been playing around with this Antake warm bamboo method. Are you familiar with this? No, not until you told me about it. <laughs> okay, episode 106, Orin Kaviti. And you take a little piece of bamboo, and you stuff it full of moxa, and you light it. And then you tap, or there's a bunch of ways of doing it. You can roll it on the channels, but a lot of it involves tapping on the channel, which will send some heat in. But there's also a little bit of smoke. The thing, it's not super smoky, but it it smolders. And it's it occurs to me as we're having this conversation right now that part of what's happening is we're getting that heat going in, but because it's burning and you're doing this tapping and it's enclosed in this piece of bamboo, you're actually pushing smoke into the tissue. Well, remember, the skin's the third lung. The skin is the third lung, and this method actually pushes smoke in. That's a whole, all of a sudden now I'm looking at this and going, oh, that would be super helpful. Yeah. It might explain why I'm seeing some of the results that I'm getting with it. It's I've, I've had some patients recently. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, yeah, it feels better, you know, but, but they're just saying it with their mouth. Yeah. And sometimes you look at a person's expression and their eyes are like bugged out a little bit and they're like tilting their head and they're furling their, you know, their forehead because it's like, what the heck? Where's the pain? And you can see the expression of like utter surprise. Yeah. And, and I've noticed that. that with these patients recently. And it's just, it's like curious. It's like, how is it that this is happening? And I don't think I could get those faces if I didn't use Moxa. I yeah. just don't, I don't know how I would do 
that with just needles. I just don't know what I what I do. All right. Well, the way the word acupuncture is written in Chinese, I'm sure you know this. Our listeners probably all know this. It's needles and moxa. I mean, that's how you write acupuncture. It's a biome in, in Chinese. It's two characters. And it's both of these things. And I think that just shows how much significance is put on on moxibustion. It's half of acupuncture. It's not its own therapy that exists. You know, you have acupuncture and then you have this as like an add-on. They are equal partners. And I think that's represented in how, how it's written in Chinese. Mm-hmm. So beyond the research that you love to do, and, and thank you for your contribution with oh, that. Oh, thank you. Um, are there other kinds of moxa or, I mean, do you look into the history of it? I mean, what other ways do you take that curiosity of yours and go into the realm of moxa to go and learn about it? What are some of the resources that you love to go to? The thing that probably captured my interest in moxa research was the moxa africa project i don't know if you've heard of it yes merlin young yeah he's also been on the podcast he he is yeah i mean there's his book which is all about moxa and the moxa africa study um and they're probably where i started kind of an obsession with Moxa, if you haven't looked at either of those, they're totally worth it. And I think they're they're massive eye-openers into acupuncture with um, Moxa kind of being at the forefront rather than in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's got a couple of books out along with that Moxa Africa project. I'll, I'll make sure all that stuff is on the show notes page. Perfect. So that people can just go to it and check it yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else that you would like to share with our listeners about Moxa before we start to wind this down for today? I don't think so. Just if you're not using it, then you need to start because I think <laughs> you know it's really amazing. And um, you know, if you're if you're worried about it, just start. You know, I think if people don't use Moxa for a long time, they're they're in a bit cautious and a bit kind of nervous of how to use it well just grab a moxa stick and just start doing it don't worry about the complicated stuff i don't use any of that just um yeah grab a moxa stick and start warming up points all right grab the mox and have at it (laughs) yeah alice thank you so much for your time today it's been a delight no thank you so much for having me I did not realize there was an aspect of far infrared radiation that was part of the magic of MOXA. I don't really have a mind for research, but I sure do like talking to people who do. As we move into a time when we might not be able to connect as much in person as we'd like, we will be more reliant on our digital communications. Geological is here to help you stay connected to our community. Remember, all crisis also brings opportunities. It's a good time to ask yourself the question, how can I serve when I don't have access to the tools of my trade. Stay healthy, friends. Take care of yourself and those around you. And tune in again next week for something deliciously geological. Geological.